Hello. Oh, oh that sounds very Scottish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to start the podcast. It's finally Scottish. Way. Hey. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I mean, I I was editing last night's episode. That I, I'm not sure if I'm going to post this right away or in a couple of days, but I was mm. editing sounds because at the start the new intro wasn't playing properly. So I was it took me about twenty minutes to realise that I probably should edit it on my laptop. Ah, uh, yeah, and then I I spent four hours trying to find out what the actual problem was, and then I realised I could fix it on my phone instead of my iPad. Oh. So uh, I, I might be Scottish, but I'm not exactly smart. The more you know. Yeah, I, I just uh, cue the rainbow with the wee star, the more you know. That's the one. I mean, if I, put, if I ever put this on YouTube, which I'm tempted to do at some point, I'll just like have the blank screen and just have that meme shoot across the page and it's going to be blank for the rest of the video again. <laughs> <laughs> So um, you do some acting, as I've seen on TikTok. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so what? Um, before we go right into the acting, what made you decide to um, be an actress? <laughs> it's a really funny story, actually. Um, so I started going to acting classes when I was three, um, which I guess is more of a dancer thing. Like most dancers are like, I've been dancing since I was three. Well, I've been acting since I was three. And my parents, they've always been very into theatre and film and everything like that. My mum, she was like, she was recalled, I think, for the part of Diane in Trainspotting and things like that. So she's kind of been in acting for a long time. My dad's been in the kind of backstage side of it, things like lighting and stuff. So they kind of put me into drama classes really early on. And I had a very good friend there called Holly and uh, we were literally in every class together like we moved up in the levels together I was she was basically joined at the hip with me like we didn't we didn't leave each other's side and when I was about 10 um, we got a phone call through to my house and it basically was like the people from my drama school saying oh uh, there's an independent movie gonna come out and we think that Anna would be really good for it so we're gonna send you the script and you're gonna audition and of course, my mum was like beside herself. I was like 10. So I didn't really understand what that meant. I was just kind of doing it for fun. Because when you're wee, you don't really act. Like you don't do Shakespeare or whatever. You're doing like drama games. It's not it's not as hardcore. So I was just kind of having a good time. And I didn't realise that my friend was also up for the part. So the, sen- the script got sent. And it was basically... <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. It was basically the part of a 10-year-old Serbian girl who'd been buried under the ground for five days because her dad was in the mafia. So, like, a rival gang had kidnapped this kid and put her in the ground. And these five hill hikers hiking in the Scottish Highlands find her. And what ensues is, like, a thriller action-packed, like, whole big thing with guns and violence and all this good stuff as they try and get this little girl back to her family. So this was a bit of a step for me. And I remember things like my mom just rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing with me. Like, I mean, I had to do the most ridiculous crap. Like I literally had to like throw up on someone, obviously not really, but like gagging and crying (laughs) and screaming and like, I, I literally just wanted to have a good time. I did not want to have a panic attack on an audition 
it was like not the vibe and I remember things like my mum going to me because I was like an avid Doctor Who fan from very young age because that also kind of was translated from my family and I remember my mum saying to me like I I remember this so vividly my mum going if you saw a weeping angel what would you do trying to like get me to like emotionally recall and I went run and just burst into tears and my mum was like oh great she's crying let's rehearse the scene now and I was like no so that was a fun time and then we got to the actual audition and of course I botched it because I was 10 and I didn't want to be there and I didn't want to do it and it was uncomfortable and I was just not aware and my long story short my best friend got the part um and I I remember she went to like a big premiere in Leicester and uh, in Leicester Square even and she like got to do all these cool things and she was on Sky on film on, on the television and you know there was dvds and soundtracks and it was on in the cinema and i remember being like god i missed an opportunity there so after that it was like a competition for me i was like i have to get a job so that was when i started taking acting seriously so it's it's stemmed quite far back through my childhood but yeah are you still in contact used to unfortunately we're not but it's not because we fell out we just distanced from each other like she went away and did I think she's doing like film and media in Glasgow and I moved to London. So the two of us don't really see each other that often, but I met her kind of recently, like like maybe last year at one of the theatres because she works like part-time doing sort of cafe work. And I saw her and I was like, oh my God, hi. And she's like, hi. But that was the only film job she ever did. Like she never did anything after that. So she, it's her it's her one hit wonder, but she was amazing. And I remember being really proud of her when I finally got to see the movie. <laughs> Yeah, you have to like send me a link to this movie if you ever find a link to it because I'll, I'll actually go like, check that out. For like, sure, oh, it's, that was... it's called A Lonely <laughs> That's Place to Die. That's the name of it. A Lonely Place in... to Die. That, that, that sounds like Scotland. Very much so, and it's an independent film, so it was kind of it wasn't like big Hollywood budget, but it had some like pretty big actors in it. It had uh, Melissa, I believe her name is Melissa George, and she's been in things yeah, like yeah. Amityville Horror in 2005 and things like that and Ed Spielers who was in Aragon so there was a few big actors involved so it was quite cool er- God, I've not heard about Aragon in years I know such a throwback but she was like her she I remember her telling me about it and she was saying things like her her sleep schedule was totally bollocksed because they would do things like if they had a night shoot because there was a scene with like a fire festival in Edinburgh she had to like run through the streets of Edinburgh in one of the shots so they had to film it at night so she slept all through the day and was up like literally all night filming and then had her lunch at like like five in the morning or something like her whole sleep schedule was botched for the entire like however long she was on set it was wild it was so cool though uh, I'm looking up um, it came out in 2000 and 11 for um yeah like looking at some of the actors i don't particularly recognize many of them but you know um as soon as she said melissa george obviously that one i I recognize that from somewhere but i'm i'm not entirely sure so i'm just going to quickly uh look her up um oh she was she had a reoccurring Grey's anatomy i can ask one of my mates because they're obsessed (laughs) yeah she's a big american actor um, according to Rotten Tomatoes, the film got a seventy percent, seventy-seven percent for a, a film like that. That's not bad. It was really good. Like I watched it. I mean, I was obviously I was quite young, but I do remember it, and I remember watching it and being like, "My God, that's my pal on the screen!" Like looking terrified. That's amazing. And 
like I mean they had cameras on tracks they had stunt doubles like they had a lot of it, it they had a budget behind it like it wasn't like a little cheapy thing they they had a decent budget and Ooh, million mean, yeah she had a good she had a good time it's it looked like such fun and I wish if I had been more serious about it during that time and I hadn't been like oh this is not fun this is scary I don't want to I I bet it'd have been a ball but I'm so glad she got to do it I think it was such an experience well I mean like you're um you're studying acting right now aren't you I am yeah yeah, there's always a chance that at some point in the future, um, if she still, <laughs> if she ends up going into, maybe she goes into a remake of the film, playing the, maybe playing Alison or something, you can maybe play, I don't know, Jenny, you know, I'm looking at the cast <laughs> list. You have to, there's, sure. there's a small chance you could see each other again, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, it's it's not, I mean, I suppose it's not a spoiler, because as you can imagine, with a film with guns and stuff, like, that's going to you're going to have a few deaths. And to be fair, if I was playing Jenny, I'd love to do her death scene. It was gory as hell. It was really good. But if you think about what you were like back then, though, you might not have liked it as much. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And in the end, in the end, I did get a job. That attitude paid off because I did get a job. So I guess, like, it was the push I needed, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's always one of those days, one of those things where it's like there's one mistake that you look back on. You're like, I really wish I didn't do, I did do this or didn't do this. But then something else has happened because you didn't do that, and it's benefited you. For example, I mean, if you'd went in to do that, you, maybe a chance your career might have went a different way, and for all you know, you might have not ended up going to school to study um, like acting. Oh, absolutely. I think. Sometimes <laughs> we always say in, in drama school, they always talk about how mistakes are what you learn from. If you're not making mistakes, you're not going to learn. I mean, like that's the whole point. If you're right all the time, you'll never know what's wrong. So you need to know the wrong so you don't do it again. And I suppose that was the mistake that was the push. So that was that was the kind of golden gates, I suppose. And I saw how much fun she had on that set. And I thought, God, I've got to get a job. So I got, I got a job. Like, And I remember it was because I was so adamant that every human being that was an adult so over the age of like 30 that walked through the doors during our drama classes I would nudge her and go that's a casting director and she'd go no it's not and then the one time that it was they they pulled me back after class and they said we'd like to give you a job so and I was 12 so it wasn't too long after well, see if you had said if you we were in a class like that and you'd say that to me I would end up probably shooting like every single person that looks old enough to be a teacher as a casting director just <laughs> well that was it that was absolutely it. I, every every single person I didn't know who wasn't there to teach us, who was just in observing, I thought they're going to cast someone. And eventually that clearly paid off because when it did become a casting director, they gave me the job. <laughs> what was the job? The job was a voice acting job. And it was in a film um, called All That Glisters, which is a short Scottish story by Anne Donovan. And Claire Lamont, the director and producer, she was like making a stop motion animation of this movie out of this story and they needed a little girl to play the lead and we were doing I, I wish I could remember what the line was but we were we were all given small one line in these like short scenes and I went I thought I'm just gonna go for it I'm gonna say this line because they might be casting directors and I went really Scottish and they loved it and they were like we're looking for a Scottish girl and we're going to pick you. And so I got hired to do this voice acting job. It was one night in a in a little recording studio. It was really fun. And my dad was played by a guy who was in Braveheart. So I got to work with him. And it, it was just, it was such a weird experience. It was very surreal. But the film is still out. Like, it's still online. 
and it won a Scottish BAFTA and my name is now on IMDb because of it. So, and I got paid. So like, there's no downside. It was a great, great experience. I've never voice acted before then. So it was a weird, it was so weird. It was so surreal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Since you mentioned Doctor Who, like maybe a couple of minutes ago, um, and the first thing that pops into my head, right? Who's your favorite Doctor? Oh, David Tennant, Doctor number 10, of course. Technically 11, but you know. Oh, is he 11? But technically, if you go by what we got in the 50th anniversary, we got mm. in between Paul McGann and Christopher Epperson, we got the War Doctor played by John Hart, which was technically right. him using a regeneration. Mm. And then, course, okay. The 10th, the 10th is the 11th, but we all still know them as like David being the 10th, Matt being the 11th, and Capaldi, which, by the way, is an underrated legend. Oh, as the my God. God, you're so right. I remember thinking, this man is a, an acting genius. Like, every choice he makes is so bold and so creative. And they really, I mean, of course I appreciated it because I'm Scottish, but they kept playing on, oh, a Scottish old man. And I was like, that's funny. And then, like, I remember all my friends going, God, I can't wait for them to kick Peter Capaldi off the show. He's rubbish. And I was like, you just don't like him because he's old and you can't snog him. But he's brilliant and he's funny and he's, charismatic he's everything you could want in a doctor so wonderful. you have to think about his sarcasm as well he comes up he has the best one-liners he does he truly does yes i totally agree with you on that so underrated it's when um i, I spoke about this actually in the, um, the last episode i recorded but it was when there's the christmas special last christmas with the mm. kind of face hugger like aliens and mm. the guy points it out, and it's like from the horror movie Alien, and he goes completely Scottish and completely on the defensive. He's like, "There's a horror movie called Alien. That's really offensive. No wonder everyone keeps invading you." And I can, <laughs> the, when I think about it, I can't think of David Tennant's Doctor saying that. Like he he could, but I don't think it's like him. Matt Smith's Doctor would just look a bit offended and upset, but Peter yeah. Capaldi's Doctor has the attitude, and I'm just going to say the Scottishness to pull it off, because that the way he done it, that was Scottish sass. <laughs> You're so right. I think the reason I love David Tennant so much, though, is because he's so Can playful. And I think, like, that is a trait that a lot of the time, especially, my God, especially in drama school, like, because you're being judged by so many teachers and, like, you're so liable to make mistakes, it's so easy to forget how to have fun. And I think that's what David Tennant brings. He brings such fun and such joy and such playfulness. And he's so physical. And I think that's just why I loved him. Because like the facial expressions, my God, his eyes can bulge out of his head if he wants them to. He's just very watchable. And I like that. Yeah. One of the things about his doctor as well is he can be childish and he can be like he can be like he can be a real comedian in a couple of episodes as well but when the doctor needs to be serious like for example mm. when what everyone really calls is like the fury of a time lord oh mm, my yes. god you're and so he's right yeah you're so right and i remember as well that th- this the scene that i'm sure we can all agree broke every heart in the world the scene on the beach with Rose Tyler, that was yeah. just acting at its finest. The man broke everybody's heart. And I remember somebody put that on Facebook recently, like as a throwback, and I watched it. And I was like, God, still, like years later, that scene can still invoke emotion. 
it's what, what the one of the angry scenes that I like is when even if it's someone he's not really met, like for example, I believe it's in Forest of the Dead when one of the people that was in River Song's expedition, it's someone he liked, and you know he's he he just almost loses it at them, but he has mm. to keep his composure. But it's um, another one is like I think he's probably one of his defining like I would kind of say angry but also serious at the same time would be at the end of Waters of Mars, one of his last episodes with um, oh, the time of Victoria. That line, like, I can, I, I remember re-watching it recently because it's all on the BBC iPlayer. And, mm. you know, thinking about it and considering now they're doing a lot of audiobooks about Time Lord Victorious. And it's honestly, like, just thinking about it, you realise that the Doctor is so powerful that the show does not show it enough. And it's absolutely fantastic. The, that, the Waters of Mars is an episode that I think will live on in my memory forever. It's a brilliant, brilliant premise. It's a brilliant episode. They had that, I think, one of the reasons I love David Tennant so much is also because that was Doctor Who, for me anyway, and this is up to interpretation and this is subjective, but that was like Doctor Who at its finest. Like that was, I mean, like the, the every character that he met, even if you were like a one season or one episode kind of character, they had depth and they had story and you developed a connection to them. I can't remember the name of the woman, but the woman who uh, she got trapped in the in the uh, kind of one of the rooms of the spaceship in the waters of Mars and she knew she was she knew she was finished. She knew the water was gonna get her. So she turned yeah. on her her the screen of her kids and like cried. And that was just I just remember like, God, I, I, do, I don't know you. You've not been in this, like, I don't have an attachment to you or you've not been developed, but the way you've been written is with such depth that I feel sad and I don't want you to go. So I think that was writing at its finest. Then it kind of went downhill for a bit after, like, you know, when, when I mean, this is, again, I know they lost a lot of viewers anyway, so I know it's not just me that thinks this, but Jodie Comer, like, not Jodie Comer, sorry. Um, oh God, what's her name? Thank you, Jodie Whittaker. That writing, I I didn't really watch any episodes past number one. Like, I it's couldn't really... get into it. Yeah, do you know, the most recent season finale, The Timeless Children, was the lowest viewed episode since the series first came back in 2005. Really? Yeah, but the best part oh, is, yeah. Chip Chibnall, the showrunner, is leaving and Russell T. fucking Davis oh. is coming back. It's so exciting. My My partner messaged me with that article and I was like oh god and he was like are you not so excited I was like thank god maybe the show can be saved <laughs> I almost started crying when I heard that because I was like oh my god I feel like a child again <laughs> mm, that man's gonna bring it back surely yeah I mean uh, the one thing that's a wee bit of a shame and but also I can understand is because Russell T Davis is coming back it's kind of diminished the chances of Christopher Eccleston coming back in the sixth year, just because mm. of his relationship with Russell T Davis and the BBC as a whole, is uh, 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 that's I think from what I've seen him say in interviews and um, articles, it's not really reparable. It's there's no way that you can get past that. I don't think. Right. But, oh, uh, I, mean, I mean, trust he's the got process, isn't it? He's got audiobooks out on Big Finish, and if you haven't listened to them yet, I advise you to because it's like uh, if, even if you like close your eyes, you can just see him being the Doctor again, and it is so well done. It's like mm. hearing him. Like he wasn't my favorite Doctor. I actually took me a few years after 
um, David Tint um, left to rewatch it, and I re- started to realise how good Christopher Eccleston actually was. Mm. And just it's um, when you realise that it's the um, with his doctor since we know in the fiftieth when he became the ninth doctor. This is the man who believes he's just destroyed his own people and the Daleks. That's a double genocide. And that man yeah. feels responsible for the murder of billions of innocent people. And he has to realise that, you know, he isn't all, he shouldn't be all powerful, but he needs to be the man to make that hard decisions. And for example, when he sees a Dalek for the first time in season one, um, thinking they were all destroyed, since um, in season one, we were introduced to the whole Time War backstory. Uh, it's just the the look on his face. You can tell, like, oh my god, are they? Did I fail? And I think that mm. was, like, especially uh, for early Doctor Who, like that built up a lot. And like Russell T Davis era of Doctor Who, I don't think that for the rest of Doctor Who, like even when it, if it gets to a hundred years, there is not that's going to be like top level. Like I'm going to say top three showrunners in the show's entire history. Because he mm. built it up so well. Like, think, he brought back the master after, like, 30 years. Mm. And that was really well done. But then the mm. next season, he topped it by bringing back Davros, which, if you think about it, he's he's always managed to die and come back just like the master. But it's just the way he was done it because not just the doctor heard his voice and was terrified, but when you saw the look on Sarah Jane's face, considering she's met Davros, I like my mum was like shocked, but I was like quaking. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, you make a good point. Excellent I mean, point. I, I can talk about Doctor Who all day, man. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're topping me in the the fan ratio. I think you know more about it than me for sure. Well, I mean, I I, um, I work night shift and I usually listen to audiobooks and I listen to a lot of the Doctor Who ones recently and at the end, some of them have like interviews with the cast. Yeah. So it's really cool to hear them like talking about like how it's, um, this particular story arc has affected the Doctor and how it can tie into other ones. But ah. on a side note, um, for audiobooks, there was one that was released, I think, it was um, maybe last year or um, a few years before. Let me just quickly double check. Um, Ten years, Doctor Who. Yeah, and it was 2017. He released a new audiobook with Big Finish as the Doctor. This is David Tennant alongside Billy Piper taking place in season two. And at the end of one of the episodes, Torchwood shows up. Oh. But not Captain Jack's Torchwood. I'm talking like Torchwood with you know, the Daleks and the Cybermen at the end of season two. Oh, fab. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, if you haven't yet, I would definitely recommend listening to Torchwood audiobooks on Big Finish as well. <laughs> all the wrecks, all the wrecks. I, I love the character of Owen. He like, He's just, he's relatable and he's also really funny. And mm. um, in 2000, and I think it's 18 or 19, they've done an audiobook and brought back the entire cast for the first time since um like 2008 and like getting them all together they still loved playing the characters and they got in so well and i was like oh my god they're actually back i loved hearing them because they had that dynamic still and they had like <laughs> the you could tell that the characters had the same emotions that you know like playing them 10 years ago you might not remember but 
Um, like Owen and have you ever seen Torchwood actually? No. <gasps> Traitor. Oh, sorry. <laughs> BBC iPlayer, get watching it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's an order for a Scottish person. You have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do it if I've got time. Bloody busy all the time now. Never get a break. Play. Um, when you're watching it's Stolen Earth slash Journey's End, when you see um inside the Torchwood Hub with Gwen and Yanto, that actually takes place after the end of season two. So if you rewatch that episode, you're going to get a massive season two spoiler. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that that season finale, season four, tied together the Sarah Jane Adventures, Doctor Who, and Torchwood in one. Wow. Yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> Yeah, oh. for sure. But it's good. It's good. It's all that trivia knowledge. It's good. Yeah, honestly, I, if I went to a Doctor Who trivia night, if it was to do with new Doctor, like new era Doctor Who, I might not get a lot of the Chris Chibnall era questions because, let's be honest, I, I, I the only episode of Chris Chibnall's era that I can really remember watching was um, Prisoner of the Jadoon or something like that. And mm. the reason that I, no, I think it was Fugitive from the Jadoon or something, but. The only reason I watched it is because my brother told me that a certain character comes back, and it's in John Barrowman's in Captain Jack. Mm. You know, I, they brought it back so well, and I'm like, oh, this has potential, and then they just shit away. <laughs> <laughs> the best oh, describe it, I wouldn't fish. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Yeah. So um, if we go off the subject of Doctor Who for a minute, um, obviously, since you're studying acting, is um, there a particular... Um, acting fields you want to go into like are you wanting to work behind a ca- like on camera or do you want to work on stage or uh, do you want to do similar to what I want to do I want to do voice acting mm. well thing is the great thing about the course I'm on is they prepare you for everything so I could go into any field that I wanted for example at the moment we've we've done one week of it but ne- this coming this this current week we're doing film and tv so we did a few auditions. We worked with a few BBC casting directors who came in and did mock auditions with us, had a look at us, and learned. we've been learning how to deliver things on camera, whether that's a monologue or a duologue between two people, or like we even did a bit of commercial mock auditions, which was hilariously fun. And this week we're on location filming our scenes. So tomorrow I'm on two till six behind the camera and then Thursday I'm in 10 in the morning till six at night so that's gonna be painful but it's gonna be fun we're gonna enjoy it we're gonna love it because that's what we do um but the court the course that I'm on it's kind of main focus is musical theatre so I think probably that's looking like the thing I really want to do but I have been loving tv acting like it's been such good fun and it, it feels like nice to hyper focus and we've also done like radio so my voice teacher my radio teacher Colleen she's done oh god countless radio she's voiced characters in video games she's done like tons of stuff so we're gonna do some radio work as well that goes on a voice reel so that if anyone wants us for a voice acting job they can listen to us and go yeah we want them or like to read an audio book or something like that so I can do any of that as well so there's a very big range that I can do but I think yeah musicals stage stuff I like it but I'm I'm sort of leaning towards film and tv at this moment but that might just be because I'm doing it right now (laughs) I mean, audiobook-wise, you know, that there's a very small chance you can end up in a Doctor Who audiobook. <laughs> I suppose. But I reckon normally with Doctor Who audiobooks, they, they well, from what I remember, they normally get, like, past cast members to read these audiobooks. 
But well, it, it, it depends yeah. actually because you get audiobooks when it's literally just reading the book, but then there's audiobooks where it's genuine, like it's um, characters interacting. It's like a full cast audiobook. So you've got, like, say, David Tennant playing the Doctor, um, Catherine Tate playing Donna, but then there's a character played by, I don't know, just uh, I'm trying to think of. Um, and they, uh, just just think of like your name for example like you're playing a character and there's no like background um, things and it's like the doctor said or anything like that it's literally just that you're acting as the character and the sound effects will be put in it's literally oh, like, that it's like it's being done behind the camera and the special effects or all that but like the the camera is off you can hear Got everything that like the David Tennant ones with that honestly like just hearing them talk. As the doctor, it brings me back to being ten year old again. Especially considering, I think I've shown you this, but I've got my David Tennant poster on the wall, oh. and it's been signed. And any time I can hear him, I'm like, right, that's him in 2018 playing that role again. And hopefully, in two years' time, he'll come back for the sixtieth. <laughs> well, I suppose. Um, I mean, and I, I know. I mean, Doctor Who is something that, to be fair, follows me everywhere I go because. Um, my my boyfriend, he loves Doctor Who, massive, massive fan, and he desperately, desperately, his dream, his all-time dream is to be the Doctor. And honestly, I think he'd do an amazing job. Like, he's got that kind of quirky personality. And, like, he's, I mean, it, it, it's got to a point where, like, he even bases what he wears. Like, he's got red Converse and a long coat that he wears everywhere. And he, that we call that his Doctor Who shoes and things like that. Like, he just, like, he loves it. So... It does follow me, so I would not be shocked if I ended up voicing for an audiobook. But I think that would steal his thunder. I think he would just nail it. Nail it. He's amazing. Here's the question, right? Obviously, we've had like um female incarnations of like the master, and we've also had female yeah. as well with um we had the Rani and we had Romana. If you mm. had to play a female Time Lord, it doesn't matter if it's a version of the Doctor, Missy, etc., who would you want to play? Holy moly. Um, hmm. oh, that is a hard question. I know what, who I'd want to play. Who would you want to play? I mean, if I couldn't be the Doctor, which, you know, I think I would probably choose the Doctor over this, but this character hasn't been seen since Classic Who, and I don't think he's actually been seen since, like, Peter Davidson era, but I'd want to play Omega because he's a character that should have came back by now. Especially oh. with um, the whole, um, like in season 12, I believe, with Sasha Dewan's master, they built up that reveal um, with the character, kind of like a special agent kind of theme because it was called mm. Spy Food, ripping mm. off James Bond. But got you, got you. it really annoyed me because the character's <laughs> name was O, and instead of saying, look out for the spy master, it could have been O Mega. And after like 40 years of waiting, we've got a man who. <laughs> Like absolutely detests not just the Doctor and the Time Lords, but literally everything around them, and that would have been amazing. And it's yeah. just Chibnall can't write for shit. <laughs> <laughs> Am That's I wrong? You could... made an for the <laughs> No, no, I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> oh man, okay, okay, I, I could go on about how toxic Doctor Who is now. Yeah, it's not great at the moment, but hopefully, with the return of our main man, they'll build it back up again. It's such a shame because Jodie Whittaker had brilliant potential to be the Doctor. Yeah, she would have been cool. Imagine Jodie Whittaker with like 
prime Russell T. Davis era writing. Like, I think she would easily be right up there as one of the best doctors, but the yeah. writing. It let her down, but also I think like she could have, and, and again, this might just be to do with the production team that's involved now, but I just feel that like when you've got people like, you know, that are so quirky and so unique and can bring such a flavor to that character. And then you get Jodie Whittaker, who didn't really do anything with it, in my opinion. Like, I, I know I didn't watch much of her, but the episodes I did see, I just thought, God, where's the flavour? Like, you're just playing you. And I don't feel like, you know, you're just so serious about it. Like, have a bit of fun. That's the point of the Doctor. Like, even back to the days of Want a Jelly Baby, like, they were great days. And, and all the way back to there, like, Doctors have been playful and funny and witty and all this stuff. And she just wasn't any of that. I was just really bored. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, like for every doctor has like their moment that that kind of defines them. Like, like this is the doctor. Like Christopher Eccleston has his speech, or uh, in particular, actually, could be his moment in um, the second episode of season one, where like he has to walk th- um, between the fat the fans that are moving, even though the woman behind him is risking her life. Like that's a defining moment. Like this man's literally risking his life, and he's he knows he could die, and he's going for it. And then David Tennant, like, let's be honest, his speech in Voyage of the Damned when, you know, I'm the Doctor, I'm, the, I'm a Time Lord, that speech defined him. Matt Smith had, I'd say, potentially a few um, moments. I um, can't, can't really think of one He overall, wasn't my favourite, I'm not going to lie. He, he's, I wouldn't say he's been the worst Doctor, but I think um, some of his episodes were a bit confusing, especially when we got the Weeping Angel that was the Statue of Liberty, oh which Weeping Angels are made of stone, and the Statue of Liberty, uh, I thought, was made of metal or some but sort not, of... Not even that, hmm. right? This, sorry, I'm just about to kick off, because this whole <laughs> business with the Weeping Angels, it ruined such a good villain, and I will say this till the end of the time, you don't understand, when Don't Blink came out... I could not sleep. I literally was sobbing. I remember coming down the stairs. There are only there are only three Doctor Who monsters in my lifetime that I remember having to walk downstairs blubbering like a baby and say to my mum, I can't sleep on my own. They're gonna come and get me. Like, and they were one of them because they were so freaky. And blinking is obviously something that every human being needs to do, unless you're some of my pals who just have been told by teachers, blink more. You don't blink, you're staring at me. Like most people blink. So it's one of those things where it's like unavoidable that it's going to come after you and they move so fast. And then you have this crazy, like they threw a curveball and went, ooh, let's make them move really slow. And I was like, sorry, not only that, but like they sent, the Weeping Angels whole thing was if they touched you, you, like time was warped and your past was deleted, your present was deleted. Like, you know, no one knew who you were. And like you kept, it was there was a lot of muddling about with time with the Weeping Angels. When we were first introduced, when they touched you, you were sent to the past, and they feeded on the life energy that you would have lived. That's right, because that guy died in the hospital. That was a brilliant, brilliant idea, and it's just smart. It's smart and it's clever and it's scary and they're freaky and they they moved so quickly and that's what I think scared me about them. Bloody hell, my lights have just gone off. Never mind the back. Um, that was a good Weeping moment Angels. for the lights to just yeah. switch off. Nah, don't. I literally, my, my sister found an old an old uh, school newspaper thing where every year group in the primary school had to write like a little thing. And so in my year, which was primary six, they wrote like imaginative stories. And mine was about the Weeping Angels. Like this is how much they affected me. I was literally petrified. And then 
Then with the 11th Doctor, suddenly they were snapping necks, taking people's voices. And then when, uh, I think it was Amy Pond, was like trying to, she had her eyes shut because they said, don't look at them. They were moving at the rate of nothing. They were like snails. I was like, you've ruined these brilliant, brilliant characters, these brilliant monsters. And you've just thrown everything we know about them in the trash. And you've decided that they're going to be murderers. And like, not even just murderers, but brutally violent murderers who move so slowly if they want to. There's no way she'd have been dead. If they'd stuck to the lore, she'd have been dead. And that really irks me. I'm like, how dare you ruin such a brilliant monster? Ran over. I mean, you say ruin a brilliant monster, but can we please talk about the Iron Legion ripoffs that are now the Cybermen? <laughs> the, the Cybermen, Cybermen never were... scared me. God, they were so funny. <laughs> when, um, the um, Russell T. Davis era Cybermen, I think, like, if I came up against, it, say, I, like, the Cybermen were genuinely real, like, they invaded Earth. The one version that would intimidate me the most, probably because that was the ones I saw when I was younger, would be the um, like the Russell T Davis Cybus kind of era Cybermen, mm, mm-hmm. just because like one they're over six feet tall yeah. and they have no, like the way they speak and just the way that um, they like just the way that they move. But like the new ones literally came out and I think it was maybe twenty thirteen mm. and just by chance Iron Man three had introduced not long before. The Iron Legion, which had a bunch of robots with lights in their chest that looked like Iron Man. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's idea because it's popular right now. Fuck off, Marvel. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Well, Stephen Moffat wrote some good episodes, but he fucked the Cybermen raw. Yeah, it's just a shame like, to see certain monsters just not get the justice that they deserve when they're featured. I mean... They could have done, I mean, I could have watched Sweet Angels a million times over because they were so scary and they were such a brilliant monster. And if you want to bring them back, I say go ahead. Like when they wanted to bring them back from Matt Smith and I saw that the Weeping Angels were going to be returning, I thought, great, because they're scary. So like, why not bring them back? Um, I would, if I made a monster that had that much scare factor, of course I'd bring them back. They leave an impact. It's the same way, I suppose. I mean, the Daleks and the Cybermen, they're kind of iconic. So that's probably why they kind of come back a lot. But the Weeping Angels, they were just another breed. And then they just totally threw everything we knew about them in the trash and they instantly became silly. And I was like, why have done this? I'll never forget when I remember watching this on the TV with my parents in like the living room. And it was that bit where he's on the walkie talkie to that soldier and they're like talking about how it snapped his neck and stole Angel his Bob. voice. Da, da, da. What? His name was Angel Bob. <laughs> yeah, but that, even that, I, remember I literally that. remember like all of us looking at each other like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? No, they don't snap necks and murder people. It's to do with time. It's smart. It's clever. You've ruined it. And then there was this bullshit about, oh, yeah, Amy, if you shut your eyes and crawl really slowly across the floor, they're not going to touch you. Bollocks, they are going to touch you because you've got your eyes shut. You're not watching them. They can move as fast as they bloody want. Why did they suddenly decide to take their time? I've got no idea. So annoying. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing about um, like that, what the that which holds the image of an angel becomes itself an angel. And I'm sitting thinking, hold on, that means Sally Sparrow, Martha, and the Doctor, and also Sally's friend, should be weeping angels by now. True. So right. So much no, potholes. We're, we're tearing apart Stephen Moffat. Poor guy. <laughs> well, he deserves it. I mean, he, he wrote um, some of the Peter Capaldi episodes were the best speeches. Like, yes, that's true. Um, Capaldi's regeneration speech, I think, is the, the definitive regeneration speech, especially with callbacks to you know him being 
who his doctor is, but also the um, we call back to David Tennant's doctor hating pears. He's like, <laughs> I never really eat pears. And I'm like, you see, this is why I am the doctor, because I hate pears as well. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know we're meant to be talking about acting, but, you know, I, I mean, it's a podcast. We can talk about Doctor Who and acting at the same time. Of course we but, can. Um, which um, companion do you think would have worked with a different Doctor? Because personally, I think that... Um, Do- imagine Donna with Capaldi's Doctor. That would be... Oh, that would have been a match made in heaven. They were... B- Donna is an underrated companion. Because when I ask people, like, who's your favourite companion? To be fair, my boyfriend is adamant that Martha is his favourite. And personally, I kind of just forget about her because I just feel like she's very unforgettable. She was in some great episodes, but just... Yeah, she doesn't stick out to me. Donna Noble was the companion of the century. She was the best thing ever. I love her. And I want my wedding dress to have pockets. True life fact. I love her two bits. I think she's amazing. Um, Yeah, she's just the best companion ever. But, um, hmm, um, it's a hard question, to be fair. Like, I'd love to. What I'd love to have seen it. I would have, even though it could have been like a brief five-minute thing, even in like a charity special or whatever. Imagine Capaldi's doctor bumping in to Wilfred, knowing that they're both like old men now. Like, imagine how mm. like Wilfred look at the doctor and be like, "Oh, you you've got an old now," and it would just, I'd just feel like that would tear me in half. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah, that would be good actually. Oh, you should get yeah, yourself so- in the writers' room. I mean, oh, trust me, I have I, written, uh, like, uh, this, uh, again, it's, it's obviously fan fiction, but I've written ways that you can bring back certain characters. Like, for Torchwood, I've written pretty much an entire script of how you can bring Owen back from the dead. Spoiler. Um, there's a way to, I've got a way to bring him back and bring him back into Torchwood if it ever gets rebooted. There you go, BBC, I'll give you that. I've got a way for you to get rid of the whole timeless child bullshit that we just had. And I've also got a way for you to, you know, maybe not bring the master back after one of the greatest character arcs for that character with Michelle Gomez. Mm. That whole thing with two masters. One, I hate the fact that the BBC spoiled that reveal that John Sim was coming back because that would have been breathtaking if we didn't know. But mm. it's just the way that, like, you know, the Missy was kind of getting to that stage where she's never going to be hundred percent like the doctor, but she want she knows that she can be a good that she can be better than who she was in the past. And then yeah. obviously John Sim's master hating the doctor with his whole existence decides yeah. to kill him. And then thirteen literally about thirteen episodes, fourteen episodes later, such as the one brings back the master and then it, like there's no even a reference to um, how he how she regenerated right after the master said, don't bother trying to regenerate. You got the full blast. What? That makes no fucking sense, Chip. Flip the table. Go on, do it. <laughs> I, I would take the table and I would crush Chris Chib. No wonder, honestly. It's, Yonks, it's ago, Yonks ago, there was a competition. I was in primary school at the time. And the BBC put out a competition saying, we're looking for young, aspiring writers to write the beginning of a Doctor Who episode. So, like, up to... The, the title sequence, essentially. Like, the little prologue bit, I suppose. Um, and we're, we are asking you to do it within your school. So, write it with people in your school. And then, because obviously, like, the BBC love to do things with primary schools. And they were like, get your teacher to sign it off. 
and send it into the BBC Writers' Room. And we're going to pick our favourite and you're going to get to come to set and see it get filmed. So we were like all over this and me and a few friends got together and we wrote this brilliant prologue for an episode we called The Vultures of Saturn. It was great. Cool. It was fab. That's so cool. It did. It was really good. We came up with a whole monster and we had like a really good like end line before the, the title sequence would have come in and like it was all set in the TARDIS but there was a little thing going on outside like it was all on the TV screen you could see what was going on and there was like something really interesting to do with like I believe it was a kid on the swings in the park like got abducted by this creature or whatever like it was really good it was really interesting and quite scary and we, we were really proud of it and our teacher the snake that she is said she would sign it and like and um, send it off if we left it in her office. Guess what? Never signed it, never sent it. So we didn't get picked because we weren't even entered. The episode that got picked was to do with Albert Einstein coming back. And it was decent. They never, it never aired, obviously, because it was just the title sequence. But like, I, I watched, I remember watching the behind the scenes of them, those kids getting to go and watch the actors film it and stuff. And it looked really fun. So if our teacher just sent it in, maybe we would have been on the set, but we weren't. So that's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. Like, uh, the audacity. That, that, the, the lie and the witch and the audacity of that bitch. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Right, if I ever make merch, if this podcast becomes that popular, I'm putting that on a t-shirt. I love it. Yeah, get it on. <laughs> and I'll just have a wee TARDIS in the corner. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, instead of a wardrobe, have a TARDIS that's open yeah. and it says the writing in no. there. Yeah, I mean... Funnily enough, I've still got like a lot of my Doctor Who merch. I've still got um like I've still got a um sonic screwdriver for David Tennant's era. I've got the laser screwdriver from the master. I Gosh. also have do you remember the TARDIS playset, the electronic one? I had that. I still have like the console hanging, it still works. Oh wow. I had that and I had a bunch of action figures that I think yeah. they were collected from magazines, I believe. I think they came as like an extra thing in a magazine. So mm. I had those, a collection of those. And I had a TARDIS money box that um, like you put, you'd pop open the doors and it would make the TARDIS noise and then you put the money in and stuff. It was really cute. And then I had, I had a stress toy adipose that sat on my bedside table and my little cousin lobbed it down the stairs and all the stuffing came out of it so we had to bin it but it was my favourite thing ever the adipose are by far the best thing about one of the best things about Doctor Who to this day I want to pet adipose and they were great and I had a little stress toy but it got broken because my cousin lobbed it down the stairs sad times well I mean you know if <laughs> if you ever um, if the adipose or whatever planet the um, Matrix of was from ever come to Earth and they introduced Adipose Industries and a special pill. You could always just take that pill and hide yourself in a cage until one comes out of you. <laughs> I would just put the pill in water and hope for the best. Well, considering they're comprised of fat, there's not going to be much fat in water. Maybe I stick it in a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine an adipose with like uh, that's the shape of a chicken. That sounds like adorable and terrifying at the same time. Oh, I'd keep it as a pet. <laughs> just a little uh, chicken pose. Annie the adipose. <laughs> I feed oh, it and clothe it. Oh my god, how cute! An adipose and a little winter gilly with a scarf. Oh my god, I'm living. What What if you like dressed it up as like particular doctors? Because imagine what uh, a wee adipose. <laughs> so although, cute. <laughs> although we don't like uh, Matt Smith, just imagine him in a wee like bow tie and a fez. 
And then you rub it off and I'd go, no, cool. you have to wear it because feathers are cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that a lot of the good iconic lines came from that um, Moffat's era when it comes to one-liners, but mm. I, I think sometimes they overdone it. Like, I understand the whole bow ties are cool, fezzes are cool, but when they kept bringing it back, like, in one episode of Chris Chibnall's era, they bring back a fez for, like, five minutes, and I'm like, that was just the shittest callback ever. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. The, oh, one thing. Do you remember early seasons of Doctor Who, um, like, Jack helped give the TARDIS, like, special shielding so nothing can get yes. through the door? Yes, I yeah, do. Suddenly, the Jadun can now teleport <laughs> into the TARDIS. Put yeah. Fucking shit, because they would have done that in the stolen earth slash journey's end when the Doctor tried to escape with Donna. Fuck off. <laughs> I love the passion. Well, like, honestly, I, I could, I, if I could, I would replace the entire writer's board of Doctor Who with me, you and your friends writing your special episode and Russell T. Davis and his group. That'd be so cute. What a team. Yeah, the greatest year of Doctor Who the world has ever seen or ever will see. Truth. I would, I would definitely... Bring, uh, can I point out that Wilfred, one episode, he was a companion for one episode, but he still was one of the best companions. I don't remember him. Wilfred, Donna's granddad. Oh my God, yes! Agreed, 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 agreed. He's such yes. a sweet old man. One of the audiobooks so to recently, he came back with um, Sylvia, Donna's mum, and Donna and the Doctor in one of the audiobooks. It was amazing. I love that. Oh, it's, it's the fact that he took. It's just the way he saw the Doctor. It's like, oh, we. Uh, it's going to be in a way. I think it's like us because obviously we're going to. Doctor Who could even stay on for another fifty odd years, and we're going to be in our sixties and seventies, just like Wilfa is. Yeah, we're gonna. Um, he's gonna see the Doctor as like some young traveler going about time and space, having the time of their life. That's gonna be how we look at Doctor Who in the telly. Totally. And that makes you I kind of realize that um, his last appearance in Doctor Who was in 2010, and that was 11 years ago. Oh. How Don't make me feel old. Do? <laughs> I Don't make me feel old. <laughs> God. Who's okay. one companion for the Doctor that you think should never be a companion? Clara, I hated her. I hated her with a passion, and that's so that's so subjective. I know, but she just drove me up the bloody wall. I hated her. I really <laughs> did. I just I'm so passionate about how much I hated this character because she was fine at the start, and then it was like, oh, the Doctor's always in trouble. I've got to save him, <laughs> and I was like, that's not your job. It's not your job. Stop it. And I'm all for strong, powerful women. I'm all for strong, powerful women, but honestly, I just couldn't stand her i think it it made it made the whole idea of doctor who an imbalance because i feel like doctor who is a tradition like it's it's something that kind of it's a constant it's been a constant since the 19 i don't know like what 1963 1963 so that's like god you know that's that's eons ago now and so it's been a constant for a long time it's one of those things that like it's good the way it is. It works the way it is. People love it. And I'm not saying don't make strong female companions. Donna was a very strong female companion. So was Rose. Like, there were so many that were really, really, that stick out in my head as being really strong, great female companions. Clara was just OP, and I hated it. Uh, the thing is, 
because people introduced originally to different versions of Clara, for example, Asylum Dalek Clara, I mean, that was never going to work. But no. Victorian Clara that we saw in the in, at the Christmas special, that Clara, I think, had the best potential because she never tried to be better than the Doctor, but she, was, she had the attitude that would make her kind of like the Doctor's equal, but not mm. like wouldn't try and take over. Like, um, I think the episode was like Flatline or something like that in Peter Capaldi's era where she said, um, it's like, I, I'm the Doctor. And I'm like, no, yeah, fucking no. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's what I'm talking about. The Doctor's response to when she was saying that was pretty true. And it's like, don't you dare. And she's like, I'm the Doctor. I'm like, the Doctor of what? Of lies. And I'm like, yeah, too fucking right, pal. Yeah, no. Bullshit city. Annoying. Bad writing, but I mean... So that season was season nine. No, was it? I think it was maybe season eight, actually. Doctor Who went down a wee bit. Season 10, Capaldi's last season, was kind of up and down. I think, personally, the finale, like, final episode was brilliant because of the Doctor's speech against, um, like, why he fights, um, trying mm. to convince both Martha and Missy to stay on, um, like, stay by his side, which... We actually found out Missy did want to do that before she was um, murdered by her. Technically, she killed herself, if you think about it, because her past version killed her, while she also killed and caused to regenerate her past self. So does that count as a double suicide? Oh, my God. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Brain's, like, overwhelmed. It's having an aneurysm, you'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Think about that. You just have to realise David Tennant, uh, he has a doctorate now, so he is technically Dr. David Tennant. Ah! And he's married to the doctor's daughter, which means the doctor's daughter is the doctor's wife and the doctor's son-in-law is the doctor, implying that the doctor's father-in-law is the doctor as well. You know what they say, keeping the family. If any of their kids become the doctor, which I believe one of them has actually expressed interest in being in Doctor Who, that means that one doctor is going to be able to say that he's been the doctor, his son-in-law's the doctor, his grandson's the doctor, which also means... And then you've got... Like, what if he has like a cousin or something through marriage or something like that where they've been the doctor? And then you're going to hear like the doctor's cousins, brothers, uncles, nephews, second cousins, ex-wives, and brother-in-law. First, um, like, then his kid is suddenly like the doctor as well. You're like, hold on, what the fuck happened here? This is a, this is a Chris Chibnall storyline. Hey, it's a family business. Uh, are you a bit tired? I think it's a bit of a game there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I could just see that and I was like, oh, I had a bit of a yawn there. I, I I can relate though. I mean it's it's tw- it's I'm on a Monday and it's twenty to eight. I mean like who's not tired at this time when you're I was like, I was up at I was up and in a music room at nine thirty in the morning being expected to belt a D, which of course, as you can imagine, did not come out. And uh, it was a bit of a stressy little day, but fun. Little bit of fun, little bit of spice, you know. So yeah. So um, obviously, it's uh, a quick question. You, um, you obviously you moved into um, London to study your acting. Was there no any options in Scotland that would have kept you from betray- betraying your homeland and going to London? <laughs> well, in Scotland, we have a big university there called the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, and Wait. many many great actors have graduated through their program and um, I could name off a few 
Um, you know, James McAvoy graduated from there. David Tennant graduated from there. Well, Tom Ellis. Say, David Tennant graduated there, did he not? I said David Tennant. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's why when you said that, I was like, hold on. I'm pretty sure it was him. He graduated there. <laughs> yeah, he did. And so did um, uh, Tom Ellis. But, um, but and, and I actually went through their juniors program. I just I studied there for three years, and <laughs> I'm about to badmouth this school, but it doesn't matter because I don't go there. Um, they auditioned me, and rejected me, and they were the ones that trained me. So in my head, I was like, "Well, what does that say about your training then?" Because I'm not good enough for your senior program, and only people who have had a hand in my training are you. So I'm concerned. And then um, I auditioned again didn't get in and then I took a year out I went to college in Motherwell and I got an HNC qualification in acting and musical theatre and then I went back and I auditioned again and they put me on the reserve list and I was like are you kidding me and then Central the school that I'm at right now the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama they gave me an offer and I they gave me an unconditional offer the day after my audition so I was like clearly I'm good enough for them and they like me and then suddenly, a few months later, RCS emailed me going, we've taken you off the reserve list. We want to offer you a place. And I was like, Ooh. so you're going to offer me a place after someone else who you prefer has rejected it? No, thanks. So I rejected yeah. them, suck on that, and went to London <laughs> because boo. And also, <laughs> thing is about thing is about Scotland, London is a place to be if you want to be an actor because it's where all the agents live. It's where... All the casting directors are based and it's where the BBC's biggest headquarters is. So you're more likely to work if you're in London because agents don't always have the time to travel to Scotland to watch performers. If you're in London, they can just go and see you on a lunch break. It's super easy. So you're more likely to work if you're in London. Um, so it was just a, a more viable option and it made meant that my doors were opened a bit more if I went to London. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that, actually, because at first I was like, oh, she's a traitor, but I'm like, no, she's a traitor <laughs> for a good reason. I am um, a traitor for a good reason. I've looked up, um, like, um, alumni from the Royal Conservatoire, and two of them that jump out right away, besides David Tennant, uh -huh. was one was Alan Cumming. Yeah, yeah, amazing that man. He just got, he just got, went to the school, actually, because he got given, like, a, some sort of tenure or something, like, got a big award from the school. He's brilliant. And uh, the other one is Richard Madden. Um, anyone, yeah. who's, anyone who's seen Game of Thrones, that's Rob Stark. <laughs> love Game of Thrones. Love Richard Madden. He's brilliant. Central wise. Greg McHugh I... went in as well. Who? <laughs> Greg McHugh, Gary Tank Commander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many alumni that have come through the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. You'd be surprised. It's a good school. It's a really good school for acting, for straight acting. If you want to go there and study acting, Maybe not for musical theatre as much, but acting is it's great. Um, Central, some of our graduates were Graham Norton, uh, Carrie Fisher, Christopher Eccleston, um, yeah, uh, Kit Harrington, um, no. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Saunders, uh, Martin Freeman, um, Jason it's Isaacs. Half the folk in the MCU and Harry Potter. Yeah, I nearly worked with Jason Isaacs, fun fact. Didn't get the job, but I know who did. <laughs> Again, small, small world, the acting world. I was auditioning for, I don't know if you'll know it, it was a BBC drama called Case Histories. And 
I was what? auditioning to play. I was I was auditioning to play Marley Brody, who's the daughter of the lead, who was Jason Isaacs. So I went in and I auditioned, and I actually had a really good time in that audition. It was really fun, and she was quite sassy and cute. But this girl, who's already got quite a few jobs within CBBC, so funnily enough, you know they're they're kind of connected to the BBC. She got the gig, and I met her later on in life. She's really sweet. She doesn't do acting anymore. Again, she's given it up to do something at Glasgow Uni. Um, but she's she did really well for herself as a child actor. Like she did super super well, and she ended up getting the job. And my grandma tuned in and watched an episode. <laughs> she said to me, "God, this makes my grandma look so bad. Love you, grandma." But she said to me, "I've just watched an episode of Case Yesterday, Anna." And to be honest with you, I understand why you didn't get it. There's no way he could have lifted you. <laughs> and I was like, "How rude!" But it's just because I'm, I mean, this little girl was so, so tiny and I was quite lanky. So I think she's thinking you'd look really naff getting lifted by him. But yeah, it was funny. That's, that's so cruel, but so funny. I'm sorry. It is funny. My grandma says things like that sometimes. She's silly. But yeah, so again, another job I lost out on. But, you know, you, more, more often than not, even the bigger actors get rejected more than they get given jobs. It's just like... Yeah. I mean, half the time, like, an actor would get rejected, but then, like, just because, like, say they have, like, their top three choices for it, mm. but um, doesn't that, like, top three, it might just be, like, how popular the actor is. Like, yep. post Doctor Who, David Tennant was in demand by a lot, especially um, now that we've also had Broadchurch, like, he's he's been mm, in marketing. And I mean, like, unfortunately, not everyone who's in Broadchurch has a successful career afterwards, like Jodie Whittaker. <laughs> well, Jack interestingly Whittaker. enough, um, we, so I was telling you that we had a few mock casting directors, well, not mock casting directors, but casting directors come in to do mock casting calls. So last week we had a casting call and a casting workshop with a casting director called Ben Cogan. And he's cast like quite a lot of BBC soaps, like Casualty, Stenders, things like that. But he also more recently cast his Dark Materials, which is on BBC. So he does like a lot of stuff and he's been in the kind of casting director world for a long time. So he came in and did some work with us and we all had to learn scripts overnight, come in, audition for him to camera. Then we watched all the footage back, which of course is as embarrassing as it sounds and kind of listened to feedback, which is great. But Ben said something that may actually be quite interesting while we're on the topic of like there's multiple things that can you know factor into an actor being rejected for a job and he said when you audition for a job a lot of the time it's like going to a restaurant and asking the same four people to order the and or hoping the same four people will order the same thing on the menu because he was saying like you get you know say you get like 70 actors audition for the one part it's not just the casting director that has a say. In actual fact, the casting director never really has any leeway over the director. So you've got the casting director, the director, and then the tapes get sent off to the producer and the executive producer who make a decision and have to kind of, they might say like, oh, we love who you picked for this character and this character, but we're not so sure about this character. So then you have to go back to the drawing board. So you're trying to get a table of however many people who are on the production team to make a decision before you even send out the calls to say to people like, um, you know, you've got the job. And apparently for his Dark Materials, they were casting the lead character was a wee girl called Lyra and they were casting her pals. And he said it was a table of 16 people that were trying to come to the agreement of one actor when you've got like millions of kids auditioning. So it's just, it's hard. But, you know, what's for you won't go by you at the end of the day. I mean, sometimes though, um, like for example, if you're an actor that's been rejected for a particular role, 
when you like see the finished product, yet I think sometimes it could be good for an artist to look at it and think, oh my God, I don't think I could have been as good as that. But also at the same time, you can look at certain scenes of it and be like, you know, I think I could have done that a little bit differently than they did. And it's, it's kind of a way to look and imagine how it could have been done from your perspective. Oh my God, literally every time I go to see a movie, every time I go to a play or a musical now, my brain doesn't shut off. It used to be like a really nice leisurely activity that I could go and watch something and, you know, just enjoy it for what it was. But now my actor brain's going, oh, that was really good. Oh, that's a bit of an acting masterclass. Oh, that was really good acting for a song. Oh, she wasn't very good. And like, you can't help but just critique based on your training and it's so annoying you're like shut off brain I just want to enjoy but it's really hard and it's exactly what you're saying like you watch these things that maybe you don't necessarily get or you watch these things that you want to be in and you watch the actors that are already in it and you're like mm, that's interesting like how they did that Um. so yeah the more you kind of in involve yourself within the industry the more you learn and I think that knowledge is power especially in this industry Was that a Game of Thrones reference? It actually wasn't, but if it is a Game of Thrones reference, I'm happy with that. I mean, no, um, Littlefinger did say to Cersei that knowledge is power. Oh, well, there we So he did! So he yeah, did! She... I know the scene but you're talking she about. Almost <laughs> she almost killed him right after that. No, power is said, power. Power is power, yeah! I love Although, strong um, females. The thing is, I'm all for a strong female character, like, until they butchers Daenerys in, like, after season six. Oh. I hated it. Like, yeah, she was a bit much. Cersei, like overall, like I hate her character, but the actress is fucking fantastic. And if you hate she the character, she's the doing a damn good job. But what a shame about it though is the actor that played Joffrey, right? The most annoying fucking bastard in Game of Thrones mm. or in any HBO or any TV series. The actor done fantastic, and for the slack that he got for fans, he fucking retired the acting for it, and it's 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 a, such a shame. Alright, PSA to the whole world. If you like see anyone who is because this is a this is not just a problem within the acting community or the musical theatre community, this is a problem within like the cosplay community and like various different fandoms. PSA to the whole wide world. If you see an actor or a cosplayer in the street, don't treat them like their character because they are an actor or they are dressing up and like it's not real. Learn the difference, man. It's so annoying. I've seen like people saying like to actors oh do the line do the line and you're like god shut up how annoying must that be like i mean it's nice it's nice that they appreciate but like things like that i mean there's so many people who get hate out there for playing baddies or whatever and you're like god it's a character calm down like if you think this is real for one second you are tripping i, I guess it really depends like because some people like comic con like they go there and, like, there's a certain cosplayers where, like, when they put on that character, they are going to try and act as much as that character as possible, especially when, um, like, for example, the best one would probably be, like, New York Comic Con or San Diego Comic Con. There's mm. a lot of, like, professional cameras going around, like, taking videos of everyone. That's true. You get the permission, but some of them want to, like... Um, like, Captain Jack Sparrow cosplayers, for example... They want to, like, Jack kind of, like, stands and walks this particular way. And when yes. you, you can really only do it, like, you can really, it's a way you can really, like, channel the, the, the character by just putting yourself in their mindset. Like, For sure. Um, the, last, um, the last episode's guest um, does a lot of cosplay and she does, like, she actually does, like, parties as um, in character. And that's another part of acting. 
and for sure, yeah, yeah. It really depends on like what you're doing and what character, because like as uh, um, we covered in one of the episodes um, with my other guests that um, like for example, like th- th- there's some weirdos at Comic Con, and I can this is not particularly a, pol- a a good subject, but. Like some characters in like anime and all that, they can be a bit of like like pervs and weirdos. That doesn't mean that just because you're cosplaying that character means that you can do exactly what they do. Like, no, don't do it. Like, 100%. Even like, you see the videos on um, I see it quite a lot on TikTok or Facebook of um, I think he's a character from Naruto. I'm not very familiar, but it does this thing with the he, like he puts his hand together in the, like the shape of a gun. And he like pokes the um, folk in like the backside. Obviously, he clarifies that he got the permission beforehand, as it's part of a meme thing. But there's some folk that would do it without permission. Oh, 100 percent. You get some real creeps. I mean, I've never been. Unfortunately, I've been to Comic Con and I've been to Collector Mania, but I've never been in cosplay. Um, you know, I I've been with. Normally, I go with my dad because he's like very much a nerd as well, and we go together and we don't dress up or anything like that, but we admire and we appreciate and we've been to see like the cosplay masquerades and stuff. So like I've been and I've appreciated all of the, all the people who like put all this effort into the way they look. And I mean, I mean, they look incredible. Some of them look absolutely incredible, but um, you know, it's like you've got, you, I know from other friends of mine who have been and have been in cosplay, like you get some real weirdies who, want to do things or leer or whatever and you're like my god don't and even like I've seen when I mean I think it's London Comic Con might be coming up soon or something like that and a few of my friends have been putting out like some PSAs on their Instagram stories and they've been saying things like you know I love hugs but ask for consent first and I feel like saying god that should be a given like no one should have to put out a thing saying just don't like run up and touch me I'm a stranger like come on <laughs> like um, I think I said this in um, one of my, I think it was three episodes ago that I said when it comes to like um, there was someone cosplaying um Sansa Stark as like her Queen of the North kind of attire, mm. and um, it was like uh, being a big Game of Thrones fight. I, I asked for a photo, and instead of actually like standing like beside her and I asked if it's okay if I just take the photo of her instead because like. Even though, like they say, oh yeah, it's okay. You can like you can stand beside me. You can put your arm on my shoulder or whatever. I don't like the idea of it just because you know it's there's. Even though they said it's okay, it kind of feels like there's a boundary, kind of yeah, of course, kind of there that you don't want to like. If it's one of your mates that you've not seen in years, go ahead. Mm. Like if they're okay with that, do it. But if it's like this was just like this young ginger lassie I've never met before, I found her <laughs> totally amazing. Especially considering how bad Game of Thrones got near the end, mm, and if you're, sure. if you're, I was about to say if you're going to pray season seven and eight, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> well, actually, I'm not, not joking. <laughs> but that, that, actually, since we're on the subject of Game of Thrones, we'll go uh-huh. off the negative subject. Have you seen the trailer for House of the Dragon? Of course, I have. Matt Smith is a Targaryen. <laughs> it looks brilliant and um i knew a guy who was in the audition circuit for that i mean he didn't get it but it, i mean imagine such good fun looks brilliant very exciting i'm really hoping that um like they do that if they're going to build it up to some like big targaryen event that 
build it up the way that Game of Thrones did with the um, like with the White Walkers and like the battle between the inevitable battle between like the Starks with the Targaryens against the Lannisters. Just don't do what Game of Thrones did, which was shit on it. Yeah, fair. I mean, like one of the prequels I really hope they do decide to make is definitely one that I um, I want them to lead it up with, like the final season or the final couple of seasons being about Robert's rebellion against Aegon Targaryen. Mm. That's because, interesting. I mean, that played like the young Ned Stark and all that, and they could easily bring them back. And I mean, with the budget that Game of Thrones has, if you need to de-age them by a couple of years for uh, like a couple of episodes, go for it because mm. uh, the budget that those series get is probably more than what Doctor Who gets for like a couple of episodes. Yeah. Man, I, am, I am such a nerd. <laughs> but 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 it's it's amazing. Like I wish I had that amount of knowledge in, in that particular field. I just don't. My brain doesn't have the capacity to store it all. I mean, that's like I can go on and on. Like that's one of the reasons that a podcast is good because you can talk to people. I can learn new things about them and about what they do. They can learn more about the things that I know about. Yeah, I for mean, sure. They can't it's really fine. learn about things that I do because, you know, I, I just talk in a podcast to people. So that, that, that they, you know, you know what I do now. Well, I've never done it before. So this is my first ever podcast, which is fun. And it's a Scottish one. Get it. Of course it is. <laughs> You're right, you, have, you have to do the A. <laughs> a. <laughs> it was near the start when you said we. I was like, yes, it's definitely Scottish now. <laughs> of course. You have to have, if you don't have a Scottish podcast with at least some Scottish slang, which in past episodes, of course, I have had to provide because being the only Scottish person there. But now <laughs> we have Scottish and Scottish. It's going to be the best episode yet. <laughs> Aye. Well, honestly, this has been talking to someone Scottish is the best thing ever because, like, don't get me wrong, Sean, my best pal for England. That makes it sound like he's my best pal specifically from England. No, my best <laughs> pal, and he's from England, so he's got his English accent. And then we had um, our two um, previous guests, which were both American from, I believe, different states. Right. And then we have you, Scotland, Scottish. After seven episodes, I get a Scottish person in to a Scottish hey, hey. Come on, it took you seven episodes, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, to be fair, it's nice to hear a voice that I like, you know, associate with family and home because when you're in England, and it's so funny, I was talking about this with a, few, a friend of mine who came down. When you're in England, you hear so many voices that sound English, obviously, but then also at drama school, like we've got so many different people from everywhere. So everybody sounds a bit different, and, you know, it's, it's nice. But then whenever I'm in the street and I hear a Scottish person, I'm like, oh, Scottish. Like it's nice. It's nice to hear. <laughs> See, um, my uh, older brother lives in Australia, and when I go over there, obviously you'll hear his Scottish accent. But it, like once or twice, I've also heard like an English accent, a Scottish accent, and I'm like, huh? where? <laughs> 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 like, popping up, popping up with a It's so exciting. You want to see exciting? You should have seen the look on my face when I went into a shopping centre in Australia, and I found Iron Brew. Oh my god, it's my favourite thing. Anytime I walk into a shop in England and it's got Iron Brew in it, I'm like, I'm having that. Thank you. Funnily enough, I've actually I'm actually drinking a bottle of Iron Brew now. <laughs> Jealous. I've just got water. That's good enough. I mean, you have to like rest your voice and all that for your acting. I've got no excuse. I'm going to be shouting at my PlayStation in a bit too. I was doing. For sure. 
go on, go ahead. I mean, to be fair, we are about to do a play that's going to tour to Leicester. So I'm sure there'll be lots of shouting and projecting then and everybody will have to look after their voices very carefully. I mean, if you ever do like something, even if it's like outside of university, if you're ever doing something that's moving like in Edinburgh or Glasgow, honestly, let me know and I, I will definitely come and see it. Oh, for sure. I'll keep you updated on yeah, my I'll, projects. I'll, I'll just do it. I'll be like, Ordinal Chaos goes to the theatre. <laughs> Wait, that's what that's like. like. I've been th- talking to Sean about, like, obviously, that we're coming up to the end of the first season of the podcast because what I'm Woo! doing is I'm we're going, um, we've got this episode with you. I'm really hoping I can get Courtney back on before the end of the year, but obviously, you know, we're her work and um, mm. obviously with everyone's personal life, it's it might be difficult. Hopefully, I can get Courtney back on before the end of the year because that'll give her a trilogy. And um, Sean's coming back as well. He, Sean says he's always up for an episode, and I, funnily enough, I kind of took the piss out of him when he said that because I said you don't get enough love at home, do you? And he said yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's it's we just it's that banner thing that we're getting that, that um like he's happy where he is and he's happy at home with his fiance and his bairn. And that's really the, one of the difficult things about um, working with Sean, though, is but not in a bad way. I mean, but um, like it's hard to work it around. Like he's he's got his bairn, so it's like if he, there's a couple hours when the bairn's not there, good time to record. But it's really hard with his working schedule and my working schedule. That's it's really rare that he gets to come back because I think I'm gonna actually just double check Spotify there now. There is a massive gap between his first appearance and his most recent one. I think it's maybe like two months. Right. Yeah, if I go on and and let's see, episode one with Sean, 19th of July, Sean's second appearance, 25th of September. Bloody hell. There was a a bit of a gap there, you know? There you go. But I mean, um, I I hope, even though we're, I don't think we're um, nearly finished out, we can still talk about so much more, but if we, um, if I do go forward with just a regular kind of podcast thing for season two, do you think you'll want to come back? Absolutely. Get me back whenever. I love it. It's great fun. Scottishness. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be, I'm actually, um, you should see, I think, I'm not sure if I put in the caption for it yet. If I go on to, actually, I don't think I can open up the Anchor app right now because I'm recording, but I've, I've like mentioned Scottishness. And the bio for um, the episode we're recording right now about three times. Love it, love it, love it. Wait, that is, uh, at the end of the series, obviously, I'm gonna if I can get Sean and Courtney back on, that's fine because that means this is episode seven. Sean and Courtney will be eight and nine, and then the final episode, I'm just gonna go around people who I've I know have listened here and past guests, and I'm gonna ask them like, what was the favorite thing to either talk about or to hear on one of the episodes that they weren't in. And then I'm going to like edit the audio tracks to put them in all together for like the finale. Oh, that sounds so fun. But I'm really tempted when it comes to season two is I might, this sounds really stupid, I might spin it off. Like I'll still do the regular podcast, but like we were, I was saying a minute ago about like reviews. I might like talk, I might like, I could take the piss and like read my own audio books. That'd be pretty cool. Like read books that I like. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, just, there's so many different opportunities, and I think it's because my imagination is far too. Like, I, if I could put it out on a path, you'd probably need a path from here to Gallifrey and back. Hey, man, like, there's nothing wrong with having a big imagination. 
I mean, you should. Uh, it's sometimes it is because when you're writing something really well and then you get writer's block, suddenly you're like, fuck! <laughs> God. <laughs> the trauma uh, of writer's block. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing. Uh, I can. Wattpad isn't a, a super massive thing, but I've started writing a, a crime novel on there and I, oh, I'm, wow. only up, I'm uploading on. Uh, I'm not sure how far I am actually into it. I've not published more than one chapter, but I'm, I've got to like a kind of midway point and I have no fucking clue how to resolve this. And it's a crime novel. I need to make it make sense. Yeah, that's a hard one. You've, you've written yourself a doozy there. I can't help you. Okay. What I usually do is the book, uh, obviously it's inspired by a bunch of different TV shows. Like you've got, um, it's briefly got kind of a James Gordon kind of thing from Gotham. It's got yeah. like yeah, you've also got characters like um, there's a um, Chicago PD has Hank Voigt, which is like that he's the boss of the group. Like the in my case in the book, there's an inspector character who's like him. He's like really he's by the book, but at the same time, like he will do things in that probably are not particularly legal way to get mm. what you need. What you need. And then there's um, a TV series called Murdoch Mysteries, and if you if you've never watched that, I recommend watching it because it's one of the best crime programs out there, and it's going on 15 seasons. Maybe I will watch it. If you ever do, it's on a channel called Alibi over, right. over here. It's amazing. Fab. Like honestly, I, I could do an entire podcast talking about why I love Murdoch Mysteries. You can ask my mum. Honestly, I don't shop about it. <laughs> love that. It's good to have things it, like that you like, things you're passionate about. Honestly, like if I had like if I could find someone on like TikTok or whatever who's as big a Murdoch Mysteries fan as me, I would literally have them on the podcast. We would discuss like you know, there would be about twenty podcast seasons worth of content just to cover maybe the first five seasons. Just type in Murdoch Mysteries on your uh, TikTok hashtag and see whose videos pop up. I have, and it's all clips from Murdoch Mysteries. I mean, I've liked them all anyway, but I can't find that many um, TikTokers doing it, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, how rude! It's a let's search right now. Let's go hashtag Murdoch Mysteries. And by the way, anyone on um, on TikTok, if you're listening to this, I, I don't know why you might be listening to this, but uh, instead of watching Murdoch Mysteries, but go ahead and um, check out. Give the, a show. Yeah. Get, get, yeah, check out my my account, the Giver and Podcast account, of course. And um, Anna, you can feel free to shout out your um, different socials as well. Hi, everyone! Follow me on my. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. I sound like an influencer. Um, my Instagram handle is Anna Faye Jackson. Nice and easy to remember. And my TikTok is Anna Faye Characters. Woo! Did you have to think about that there? Yeah, it's been I a long it, day. I think it's like, hold on, wait. If she gets this wrong, I'm going to be really confused because I just pulled out your profile just to make sure that it's that it, it's. Um, I wasn't sure if your name had changed or not yet. He's keeping me in check, everyone. He's keeping me in check. Yeah, I, I, I make sure that my guests are in check. You guarantee that right now. <laughs> 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 the worst host on the planet, man. Just went Love quiet. It. <laughs> Wait, quiet for a second. Like, oh no, she's gone. No, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Try the things that I've discussed with other um, people in the podcast. Oh, oh, here's one. Um, 
obviously we both went to school in Scotland. What was school like for you? Like, I'm not sure. Did you go to? Did you just go to public schools or were you? Yeah, like, I was, was public. Because for me, in high schools in like Fife or my high school in particular was shit. Because the other high schools in my hometown had some sort of drama class. Mine didn't. That's so bad. But, I don't know why I, some I, schools don't do a drama program. It's so so bad. Like that's this was back in the time when I was like obsessed with Doctor Who and like Torchwood, High School Musical, all that stuff. I like if there was a drama class, I guarantee I would have got. I would have went into fucking study like advanced higher for that stuff because it's something I so love. Well, I, our school was good do. for drama. It was pretty good for drama. I can't fault it. There, we had. Um, you know, it, it was a national five and a higher subject. What was bad is they didn't have enough people interested to make it an advanced hire. So we never got to study it in advanced hire, but there was like school shows on and stuff like that. So there was plenty of opportunities to perform, but I just didn't like high school because I was bullied the entire way through. So <laughs> I didn't have the best high school experience, but I did okay in my subjects and I did drama. I had enough opportunities to do drama. And my last year of high school, I had a good role in the school show. So can't complain about the drama aspect. Well, uh, speaking of uh, like school shows, you should actually listen to, I believe it's episode three, Courtney's second appearance. There's a story there about a director um, and a school show, which um, is actually quite a shame, but um, it, it's the, the director was not very nice and because of... Um, they didn't contribute to the like the music department or something along those lines. She wasn't given the role that the director even told her she was perfect for. That's so unfair. Do you know what, though, Courtney, if you're about, I feel you. I also had a crappy um, director in my penultimate year of school, school show. In fact, no, I think I was... No, 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 it was penultimate. And she... So... We were doing Bugsy Malone, which if you don't know what that is, it's a really brilliant film where it's like based on the old gangsters in New York. So it's that kind of premise gang warfare and stuff. But every character is played by children. And instead of having guns that shoot bullets, they have guns that shoot cream pies. So you're killed if you get a cream pie in the face or whatever. Like it's 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 like taking a serious, serious premise of very popular films and making it into a kid's game, which is such a smart, smart idea. But Bugsy Malone is a musical, and it was a film, and then it was a, it was like a, a movie musical, and then a script came out and adapted it for the stage. So we did it as a school show, which is a perfect choice, because when you've got a bunch of kids aged between 12 and 18, it's a pretty good choice for that kind of show, and or for that kind of like age demographic. And I had just been in a production at the Theatre Royal in Glasgow, which is like a very big theatre. I'd just been in it as the lead. So I knew this show back to front and upside down and I was very passionate about it. And I'd done it over summer and then came back and found out they were doing it for school. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Like, I I, I still remember the lines. I could, I could literally do this. So I went in and I auditioned and it was fine. And I thought I did pretty good. And the cast list came out and they gave me a big burly boxer character. And I was like, wait a minute. What happened? What went wrong? And they cast the character I wanted, they double cast her, but one of the girls dropped out because she was having to kiss a boy that was about two to three years younger than her and she went, I don't want to do that, which is fine enough. So 
it was single cast and this girl she didn't show up she didn't like come she did, she was like flat she couldn't sing and i was like this is so unfair like i know i i know i could do this better and i'm not an arrogant person but when i do see something like that i was like especially that age i was like this is so frustrating because it's it's been so miscast like and I, and i still remember and, and not only that but when she was off they would ask me to fill in because i, d- I knew all the lines so i was i knew the part i knew the songs like it would have been such an easy thing for them to do and i was like i know i know i know i should be this part so the one day they made me fill in i went up to the director and i said very boldly to be fair because i would never do this now but i guess i was in my prime and i was very bold and i just said to her do you think you could consider that my audition like do you think you could consider double casting me with the other girl and she said let me have a think and i'll get back to you and she eventually i kept banging on her door and asking and asking and asking and eventually she said to me yep we've come to a decision we're not going to give you the part we're going to give you another part for another small character who's like a showgirl and you'll play both the character of the showgirl and the boxer and that's us meeting you halfway and i was like it's not really meeting me halfway but fine I didn't argue anymore. I just did what I was told to do. And the show went down like the Titanic. It was so bad. Um, and I remember vividly like sitting next to the director. And this just shows you how malicious this whole situation was. I was watching them act and the director looked down at me and she said, out loud. And I was thinking, that's my part. And I thought, you cheeky sod. You knew I wanted this part and you didn't give it to me out of sheer malice because you knew how badly I wanted it. So you just wanted to take me down a peg or whatever your game was to like, just, I don't know, make me feel bad or whatever. But I mean, she got in loads of trouble because she botched one of her songs. The girl that played the lead walked off the stage, swore while the mic was live. So everyone in the auditorium heard her swear. And apparently she got pulled into the supply closet by the music teacher who was like, you're a disgrace to the school. And she was like crying. As you can imagine, it was just the weirdest surrealist experience of my life. But yeah, I know what it's like to have a drama school teacher who's kind of got it in for you. It's not nice. I mean, you know, the, the, the um, teacher that I had for the, we had this small elective thing when it's when the schools changed to the whole like extended Wednesday, Thursday, Friday thing. And um, what we got was we got uh, the choice of an elective. This was in my last year, so it was fourth year. Mm. And what they had was there was already an English teacher there called Mr. Kirkham, and he was in charge of that. And he was the funniest bastard I've ever met when it comes to drama. Because he, he he doesn't matter if he's teaching English or anything, he will make it so dramatic and funny and he'll make you want, like, for example, for English, he makes you want to go to English because he's funny, but he can also be serious when you need to be. So he's one of those, uh, um, he's one of those teachers who, like, when it comes to his um, career, for example, teaching English and drama, he obviously had a passion for it. But... Mm. I, I'm glad that I don't have any bad memories of any particular like drama teachers. I have That's bad good. memories. Of, I have bad memories of English teachers mainly because they were fucking mean. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, the worst part about high school for me, to be honest, and Sean will agree, was there was some folk that like just took the piss too much. For like, sure. I was a massive Doctor Who fan, and I deliberately failed a solo talk in English because <laughs> it's because. Everyone always called me like the Doctor Who freak, and they were like, "Oh, back to your tardis, you fucking twat!" Just giving me shit all the time, and it made me not want this. After I failed the solo talk, 
folk in the class were like, you should have just done Doctor Who. And I'm like, yeah, but if I'd done that, right after the clash would have just fucking ripped the shit out of me. Honestly, though, this is the thing that I've learned. People who bully and people who are mean, because I had enough of them to know, they get their comeuppance. And the people who... Hello? I've, I, 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 I think we've lost signal. Hello? I don't know what's happening. Hello? 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 Something happened there. I was worried. <laughs> oh, so strange. Um, Well, people who get bullied, they're the ones who are going to go on and do great things in life because, like, it just it's just the way the cookie crumbles. Like, if you're... if So many kids that I know, or so many people, they... They go on and they, you know, they, they go to high school and you find out they've been bullied and they do great things. Like, people in my class in school, I know so many of them who had horrible bullies and people who were so mean to them and who put them down and put them down and put them down. And these are the people who have are left with broken pieces. They have to put themselves back together again, yeah? And, like, these are the people, because people who bully are just so insecure. That is the thing. That's the root. Bullies are insecure. And so when they eventually like go out into the world and they have to like, you know, be an adult, they don't know how to operate and they don't really understand and, and they're so insecure and they can't get what they want to do and they can't achieve what they want to achieve because they they think, what was it they said? I, w- I watched a movie recently and the character, like that was the, it was like set in high school and there was a bully character and this girl, like she put it perfectly because sometimes my thoughts get a bit scrambled, but she put it perfectly and I'll quote what she said. She said, like, you're the king of the school, and I get that, but you better enjoy the royalty because it's only going to last you tonight. It was like their prom night, so it was like their last night of school. And she's saying, it's only going to last you tonight because after this, you're no one. And that is the thing. I think people who bully, they have, like, a power. They love a power complex. You know, they've, they've got that kind of God complex going on, and they realise that, you know, they can rule everyone in the school, but a school is so small compared to the rest of the world. So once they go out into the world, it's back to square one. You're the new kid on the block. You're you know, you're back at the bottom. Like, you don't hold anything over anyone. And I'll tell you something, once people become adults, they won't take that shit. They won't. And that's 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 how it crumbles. So, you know, if you're bullied or if you're being bullied, know there's a light at the end of the tunnel and know that these people are going to get their comeuppance. It happens. Karma is a bitch, and I believe it. <laughs> and if you're Scottish, call them a dober. <laughs> yeah, that or just fight them. Uh, get, get them, like, you know, get a can of iron brew, smash them across the heat with it, and then just drink the iron brew. Square, go off, fucking burst you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that answer, that's probably going to be one of my personal lines that's going in episode 10. <laughs> yes. Love that. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to the fucking crowd. That was quality. Thank oh, you. Can you please put, um, <laughs> clarify, right? You remember the Shrek films? Oh, God. I worked for a summer job at, at Shrek's Adventure in London. Of course I bloody know the Shrek films. You have to think, have the things that he's said. Is, that Mike, uh, Mike Myers would <laughs> have played as Shrek with a kind of like Scottish accent. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if he did that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in my fucking swamp? Get the fuck, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of fanny ball bags. <laughs> God, what would happen to Donkey? We'd get torn in half. Oh, God. 
Oh, speaking of, if we're going to mention Shrek for a second, one of the, the things that I enjoy with um, talking with Sean is when we're playing like Call of Duty or that, there was one night where, I don't know why the song was stuck in my head, but um, like we were starting to lose in our game and um, I started singing Eddie Murphy's version of I'm a Believer that was at oh the end of Shrek. <laughs> We, we almost won that, but it was just one of the funniest moments we've ever had in like over like eight years of playing video games together. We couldn't that, stop laughing. That song definitely now gives me clinical PTSD because um, I did a summer job for six weeks working as an actor in Shrek's Adventure London, which was decent pay, but they did not treat you well. Like the, the mental, like the health of the actor was not important, which you learn very quickly, put yourself first in every job. If your vocal health is, is is affected, you know, you have to take matters into your own hands. But I was inexperienced and I didn't know that and I hadn't had any talks about legalities. So I didn't know how to protect myself. Now I do, but, you know, in the summertime we hadn't had any of those discussions yet. So I was very new to it all and I was just kind of doing what everybody was telling me to do. Anyway, one of the shows was Princess Fiona, so I did that. And you'd have to leave the kids out of the tunnel and you could hear it blaring, like so bloody annoying, but you could hear it outside. It would just be like over and over a loop of I'm a believer. And so like you'd go home like with it in your system. And you'd be like, Ugh. like it, it would just be stuck in your body and you'd be like, I thought love. And it's like, oh God, get it out of my brain. Like hate it, hate it. It's become one of my most loathed things ever. And I just have like a vivid memory of Donkey's voice like blading through the corridor going i'm a believer are you and then it's like i thought love was only true and i was like oh it was literally like a torture tactic i was like this is literal torture this is what the this is what hell looks like please help me you go home you get in the show and you're like i'm a believer yeah yeah sometimes sometimes it's like a little like a like a tech you know like sometimes when i'm, when I'm getting really excited and the adrenaline's pumping i'll just go but i'm a believer no <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, half the thing when I'm playing with Sean now is if it's like, come on, I can, we can do this. We'll, he will start singing that and then it'll be stuck in my head for like the next three games. Oh God, it's horrendous. It's honestly horrendous. But props to my flatmate and um, uh, my flatmate's partner because they came and saw me in the show. They came and did the walkthrough, the tour. And literally, I was only on for like, because you're all in separate rooms. So it's like a walkthrough, like immersive experience. So I was only like, performing for them for a hot sec but they had to go for that whole thing and i you know <laughs> I, I think you know kudos to you for for like the overwhelming need to support me and i'm i appreciate and have a lot of love and respect for them because they came and supported me and put themselves through that absolute torment just to watch me perform for five minutes very kind <laughs> and, uh, when it comes to performing if i was ever to like do like some sort of theater anything to do with theater uh -huh. like we all have our dream kind of shows of for course. example like for me if i was to uh, there's musical theater wise what my dream one and i think i've said this before would be bonnie and clyde the musical oh god you're because speaking my language <laughs> that will remember me as one of the like most relatable songs out there especially because of the story that got me into it was when I was uh, in college, it was my first year at college studying acting, which I want to clarify again, I failed that course. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I did not have any drive to do it seriously, mainly because school never really got me that into it because yeah. I wasn't a fucking drama class. But mm. um, obviously we had to do like group singing and then the, um, the, the music, well, the vo vocal tutor 
um, would like give us individual songs because obviously she would walk past, hear us singing them, and then she would she gave us individual ones. And mm. there was some people. Some people got like songs from like Pia. Some people got songs that um, like I, I'd never heard of. And then she comes up to me and it's like I really. This was me also that um, I wore a kind of like Bonnie and Clyde style like fedora to college. I know that sounds really like stupid, but I wore that kind of hang with a suit jacket and jeans and all that to college. And she's like, I think you would actually suit this. And it was um, that particular song. And I started mm. listening to it. It's still like seven years later, one of the most played musical songs on my phone besides half the music from High School Musical. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. I mean, if you had to pick your, um, like, uh, if although you said you're not um, particularly sure what you want to do, is there any particular musical you would go for? Oh, 100%. So there's a couple. Is that okay? Can I do a couple? Mm-hmm. Not one, but two. So my current thing is I want to originate a role on the West End. I desperately, desperately want to because it comes with the ability to go, I was the OG, but also you get to feature on the cast recording. You get to do the premiere, like, because the musical will be released for the first time ever um, in the West End, so there'll be a premiere and a party, and it'll be really exciting. So I feel like there's a lot of excitement and adrenaline that comes with shows that transfer from Broadway to the West End, because it's a big deal. And so I'm, I'm really on a kick where I want to be the original West End Lydia Dietz in Beetlejuice. But, but if you'd asked me in college, and this is so funny, because I just think the way that, when you said that, my heart just went boop, because if you'd asked me, Two years ago, and my my him, my, I mean my my I mean my flatmate. She she hasn't done it for ages, but she had a YouTube channel and she vlogged a lot of our drama school experience in first year. And when she was like introducing her class to YouTube, and she put me on, and she went, eh, "What's your dream role?" I went, "I want to be the original West End Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde." So we have a lot in common there because that is one of my dreams. <laughs> We need to both plan that. Uh, even if we can't get the original West End, we'll just do uh, the, the Scottish Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, to be fair, I was about to say something pretty. I'm really into true crime. This might be a bit dark, but oh well. I don't know if you, you guys, anybody here is interested in true crime, but there's a very famous crime. To be fair, it happened in England, but it's the Moors murders. And the Moors murders were carried out by a couple called Maya Henley, Maya Henley, Maya Healy, and um, Maya Hindley, that's it, Maya Hindley and Ian Brady. And Ian Brady was a Glaswegian-born guy who's a bit of a psychopath. But yeah, technically that's the most UK body and Clyde I can think of. I'm sure there was more. Scotland are pretty bad for their crime rates. There's a really good joke. I love Kevin Bridges. I think he's phenomenal and there's a really good joke that he does where he starts the joke off it's a it's a retelling of a story about when he nearly got like where where he kind of in a way got like kind of surreally mugged by some Glaswegian teen and he always goes he goes um Glasgow was voted uh the UK's friendliest city in this uh, and it was also voted Europe's murder capital in the same week so we'll stab you but we'll give you directions to the nearest hospital. And that pretty much sums up <laughs> what what Scotland is, really. <laughs> so it's like a football, after a football match, right? 
I'll do like you. I'll stab you with, a, with this glass bottle here. But then I'll just stab it. You're down the road. You go down two streets. Make sure they bleed out. Go to the right. Jump in that ambulance and you'll take it to the hospital. That's the one. <laughs> Normal. But uh, you were saying, obviously, you're talking about like true crime. The first thing I put into it, that's such Google for so- Scottish serial killers. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> it's just because obviously, like, true crime, there might be actually, there could be a TV series or something about them. There, and, there's uh, there's a TV series called Days, which stars David Tennant, and that's yeah. about a murderer. Yeah, um, Dennis Nelson, that's uh, the first one that came up. That's the one. Yeah, and uh, but Scotland's worst serial killer was not him. Oh, really? Yeah, the worst one was a man called Peter Manuel. Manuel. I haven't... Mm, you yeah. haven't... He, you wouldn't have heard of him. He, he um, was apprehended in 1958, so you are definitely not probably had that home. To be fair, a lot of the true crime I watch is true crime that stems back, back, back. So, like, I do know quite a few. I mean, Myra Hindley and Ian Brady, they were not recent. They were quite a while ago. But... Like, yeah, that's that is interesting. I wonder if the YouTuber I watch that does true crime stuff has has covered him yet. That'd be interesting. The the one thing that I think of when it comes to YouTubers talking about things like that, it pops into my head is um Rob Gavigan or what he used to know um have his name as was Rob Dyke. He done a thing called like Seriously Strange and all that, and there was a mm. lot of like there was one also the serial killer files. Yeah, oh, everyone uh, hear about um, like an interesting stories regarding that. Go and look up um, Rob Gavigan and then serial killer files because there are some of them like he covers serial killers. He covers um, like uh, any like particular disappearances and like for example, I think he also covered um, briefly the Elisa Lam, that woman who was um, somehow found inside the um, water tank of. Oh, bloody um, yeah. The hotel. <gasps> the hotel game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's I how she was found. Good. That's how the hotel game kind of got its big cult following. Yeah, um, Elisa Lam. Um, on it was uh, her body was recovered in a water tank atop the Cecil Hotel in downtown that's right. Los Angeles. And it's because um, if you look at like urban legends and stuff, they'll tell you that it's because she was playing the elevator game, and the elevator game was essentially. Um, they would, you would, I can't remember exactly how it works, but you'd press certain buttons in the lift. You'd go in the lift in the hotel and press buttons. And when you got to the fifth floor, they would say, like, a woman's going to get in the lift. Don't talk to her or it will ruin the game. And then it said that, like, if you get to, I can't remember what number of floor, I'm tempted to say 10, that you can enter an alternate dimension. So a lot of people, like, tried to play this game and they were saying, like, she must have cocked the um, elevator game up because she ended up in a water tank. So... It's kind of scary. No one knows how she got in there. No, that's why there's so many urban legends about how she managed to get into the water tank. So people think she's playing the elevator game. It's quite creepy. I honestly, I love urban legends about things like this. Yeah, it's really interesting. Some of the, you just hear some urban legends. Like, for example, I think, um, I think Rob Gavigan covered some like creepy urban legends, but. Some of them, when you hear them, you think, hold on, th- th- there's no way this could be fake. There must be something here. Mm. And I must admit, I've been interested if I'm in a hotel. I'm like, what would happen if I did try the hotel game, the elevator game? I'm too scared. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're going to do that, make sure and come on another episode of the podcast before you disappear, thanks. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> no, no, I'm too scared. In theory, it sounds interesting. In theory, it sounds interesting. In practice, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> in theory, yeah. Uh, let's not do that. You know, maybe just call me and record the podcast while you're doing the elevator game. We'll find out what happens <laughs> live. That'd be so funny. I love as well, like, you know, when Bloody Mary was a big thing and everyone was like, well, let's do Bloody Mary. And I'd be like, in theory, sounds interesting. Lots of interesting stories about it. I don't want to find out if it's real because if it is real, I'm going to be traumatized for life. So you guys can go do Bloody Mary in the bathroom. I'm going to stay here. Thanks. I'm going to stay and watch Doctor Who. <laughs> That's the way. <laughs> if I, you had said this is the way, I would have applauded you for the Mandalorian reference, but oh, so close. Sorry. Sorry. Do I get so points for saying that when I was like 10, I auditioned for Doctor Who? You never told you need to tell me about that. I did tell you, I did tell you. I told you when we were discussing it, and you went, Oh, we've got to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> no, don't, I, I mean, you should have mentioned it when we were in talking about the uh, on the podcast. Well, I auditioned for Doctor Who, I didn't get the part. It was a very sad day. <laughs> Which Doctor Who was it? It was Tenon. <gasps> I know, oh, sad. Look. Do you know? Did the episode still get made, or was it like a like a planned episode that they scrapped? The episode aired. What episode was it? Excuse me, sir. What are you doing in my fireplace? <gasps> you wait. Were you meant to be wrong, young Renette? Um, I think that's Madame de Pompadour. Yeah. Yeah, Renette Poisson. That's me. That was supposed to be oh, me. Saddest of times. I know. Saddest of times. No, next time I watch that, I, I'll post it on my story and I'll tag you and it's like, this is, this, in my head, it's you now. Oh, yay. And then, I, funnily enough, then I met a guy when I was working at Shrek's Adventure and he was like, that's so funny. When I was a kid, I also auditioned for Doctor Who and I was like, oh my God, what were you doing? And he said something like, I was that kid who was like, the sky is like diamonds or something oh. like that. And I was oh, like, that's so that funny. Kid? What? You've met him? Yeah. You're <laughs> a kid. He's this big, big, burly guy now. <laughs> but uh, I, I wonder, um, could he take on the master now? <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. He beat our, he beat our company manager in a, in a, an arm wrestle. He also beat me in an arm wrestle, but I was never going to win that because I'm weak. But um, he's lovely, and he was so nice, and he was so obsessed with the fact that I was Scottish. And any time um, I'd pass him in the corridor, I'd be like, "It's body Lass," and I was like, "You're English. Shut up." But... <laughs> clap back bitch but we were the two little Doctor Who kids which I think is quite funny we both auditioned mm. at some point but they just they didn't like me so that's that <laughs> I mean if, if an English person and a Scottish person end up being friends there might be something wrong I mean hey, like don't look at me you're friends with an English person I, I was about to finish it was like me and Sean definitely have like some sort of mental health issues anyway <laughs> Oh dear! The, the, the shit that we give each other playing like Call of Duty is absolutely hilarious and ridiculous at the same time. Oh God! And, and a side note: since um, the sky is made of diamonds guy was mentioned, I can bring up Tom Ellis again. And you have to remember that before he played everyone's favorite, you know, sexy devil guy, he <sighs> was in Doctor Who. Was he? He was um, the, the the guy that shot the toggle. He was he was that particular doctor, um, like that was assistant Martha Jones in the two part finale. Bloody hell! I'll have to go back and watch that because I knew Tom Ellis before he did Lucifer. I knew Tom Ellis as Gary from Miranda. Uh, I'm gonna I'm double check. I'm sure it's him. Hold on. Um, 
I didn't. I mean, I don't you know? remember because it must have been a small part. But I watched Miranda before I watched Ooh. Lucifer, and Tom Ellis was amazing. Loved him. Uh, 2007 Doctor Who he played the character Tom Milligan in the episode Last of the Time Lords oh wow how wild <laughs> yeah it's that? so weird it's amazing how if you've if you're in a popular TV series now there's a chance that you've been on Doctor Who that is <laughs> kind of true to be fair and the thing is the industry is so small that like if you once you got they, people obviously once you got foot in the door it's all good once you got your first job like normally people say the second job is the hardest I guess that's because like you've kind of built momentum and you want one more and you know everything's kind of funky and weird and you're you've only done one job but it, I think I think personally once you get your foot in the door it's all good because once you start to make those connections the industry is only so big and like once you start to make those connections people start going oh yeah you you did that or you did this and like oh yeah you're friends with them and that because like the networking is just as important as the performing so like he probably made a lot of connections on the BBC and then got the job in Miranda which was a BBC show and he was like really, he was like really popular for Miranda. So he probably went on to Lucifer from there, which is kind of wild. So yeah, I guess yeah. it's all about the jobs you do gets you more work. Yeah, after his main role in Miranda, I'm looking at it, this. Although this is Wikipedia, it's the same information as IMDb. But after the main role in Miranda, he had two main roles in Sugartown and The Fades. He had a main role as Dr. William Rush in the TV series, I think that's the TV series, called Rush. And then his most recent main role is as Lucifer Morningstar. Yeah, so it all connects. And the more jobs you do, the more your name is recognised by casting directors. Because, again, there's only so many casting directors in the world, uh, or let alone in the UK. So once you've worked with one, they pass it on. Like, people talk. The industry's small and people talk. And people will say, oh, yeah, they're really great to work with. They're amazing. They're so prepared. They're so good. Like, th that's how people get so much work. Because once you've got one and it, it just keeps coming and coming and coming and people talk. So that's probably why he worked his way up there. Yeah. But since we're in, like, the last 10 minutes, I thought I'd finish on a couple of acting questions. For sure. Who's an, who's an actor or actress that you want to work with in the future if you get the opportunity? <sighs> Okay, I'm going to go with the answer that I normally give for this, and it's kind of basic, but I'll give it because it's true to some extent because I just think I could learn a lot about being free from these people because sometimes I do struggle with that kind of thing. So, like, I think I could learn a lot from being playful and making really interesting, quirky choices. I would love, love, love to be in a Tim Burton movie with Johnny Depp. And I know, like, Johnny Depp's kind of a controversial person, but as an actor, I think he's something else I think he's such a gem and so interesting I think like imagine the learning experience working alongside a guy like that I mean he he's just amazing and he totally becomes someone else like the way Johnny Depp is for example when I see him in like the advert for whatever it is some Lacoste I think it is it's like a man's aftershave or whatever like he's so sexy and he's so like yeah I'm Johnny Depp and then you see him in like um uh, you know, like Alice in Wonderland, or you see him in, um, uh, you know, Sweeney Todd's or um, Pirates of the Caribbean, or like whatever. He just takes on an entire character, and you believe it, even if it's absurd, you believe it. So, yeah, I'd like to learn from Johnny Depp, and I'd love to learn from Tim Burton. His films are so dark, beautifully dark, excitingly dark, and I love it. 
So if you uh, for a brief moment, actually, before um, I ask my next question, mm-hmm. there's um, oh, when I think of Tim Burton, the first thing that pops into my head with Johnny Depp is Alice in Wonderland, but also um, it's making me think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, we're getting a spin-off um, kind of prequel called Wonka. Oh yeah, with Timothy Chalamet, right? I'm not looking forward to it because half the time when they do a prequel kind of thing like that, it dies on its arse. Yeah, it's true. I'm not sure how this will fare, but Johnny Depp will always be the best. And my mum can quote that that film back to front and upside down. She loves Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka. And I agree. I think he's great. I mean, personally, I think that um, him playing um, the Mad Hatter was absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, here's a plug for you. We're doing Alice in Wonderland just now, a new adaptation for stage. The cast list came out on Thursday. I'll be playing Alice. It's very exciting. I'm looking forward to getting going. But yeah, here's a little plug. Anyone in the UK, um, come see us. We're going to the Leicester Curve in November. End of November. I wish I could come and see that now. <laughs> oh, bless you. It's going to be interesting. If someone ever records it, I want a copy of that recording. It's getting filmed. I'll send you a copy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll casually just promote it. I'll do one of my review episodes. I'll just review Anna's performance. <laughs> Don't be too harsh. I will judge you the entire time. Like, oh, no! she's gone. <laughs> she's Scottish. She gets 10 out of 10 already. There you go. Way! <laughs> um, let's think. Right, since I asked, obviously, actor you'd like to work with, is there any particular um, like musical actress that you'd want to work with or actor? Yep, even Obozada. She's my idol. I've literally idolised her forever. I think she's so amazing and her vocal technique is like off the charts and I just kind of want to pick her brain really bad. Like... I, I just want to be like, how, how, how are you so good? And you're so small and like you can do all these things. Like it's wild. And she's got a belt that's just insanely clean. So I'd love to work with her from an acting perspective, but also I just want to be her friend. Like she comes across so down to earth. She did. Um, there's a vlogging site on YouTube called Broadway.com and they get various different actors to take over Broadway.com's YouTube channel and they like film vlogs so you can see the inner workings of their respective Broadway shows. And even Oblazada, at the age of 17, 17, was playing the lead in Miss Saigon. She also won a Tony for it, which I think is insane. But she overtook Broadway.com and literally, she's so humble and so chill and she's like a Tony Award winner. And I'm like, how? So I just kind of want to pick her brain, but I also want to work with her because she's a Tony Award winning actress. And yeah, I think we'd be good friends. <laughs> I like to think that anyway. We all, we all have like our imagination, like in another universe, that we are best friends with certain actors and actresses. <laughs> true, very true. At the moment, if it exists, if it exists, you have to realise that in one of these universes, you did get the role of the young Renette Poisson in Doctor Who. Oh, <laughs> so true, so true. Yeah, and then another multiverse, I'm playing the Doctor right now, so you know. Oh, Written sure. around by Rosie Davis in this multiverse, though, because I don't need that dog shit <laughs> So true. Yeah, and uh, that's actually us because we're almost on 58 minutes. Amazing. An hour and 58 minutes. Wow. Amazing. That, that well, well played. Like yeah, it's so much fun, isn't it? It is. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you, you went on a Scottish podcast and now it's never going to be as good because oh, there's no... It's, it's, no, what I mean is your, your next podcast, that might not be as Scottish now. True, like, very oh, true. I had a Scottish podcast before and I was like, oh yeah, what was it about? A Scottish podcast. <laughs> so true. Yeah, but, you know, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. 
we tried so long to get you to come on and there was I always know. something getting it's such a shame but we, we finally made it, made it happen yeah and hope we're definitely getting you back for season two yay that'd be fun yeah, what i'll do is i'll make sure that um obviously try and check out some of the other episodes of the podcast at some point and when i message you to find out like what your favorite part was that you either listened to or spoke about then i can definitely include that in the episode 10's like kind of special um reel of good favorite moments for sure yeah so thanks so much thank you yeah, have a lovely night you too good night good night <laughs>